we gather together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wednesday night, on my way home from Mass, I tuned into Fresh Air to hear presidential historian John Meacham talking about his newest book. He was speaking about Harry Truman. Now, my initial reaction to Truman revolves around his decision to drop the bomb. Twice, killing hundreds of thousands of people. As someone directly descended from a Navy sailor stationed in the Pacific, I appreciate the point that his decision potentially saved thousands of lives. But I've always struggled with the ethics of that decision, particularly as a Christian called to love. So with that said, I learned something quite interesting about Truman Wednesday night from Meacham. So I knew Truman was from Missouri, but I did not realize that his family were Confederates. They idolized Robert E. Lee and grew up using racial slurs in their household. A large part of his political base were white Southerners, which is a big reason why FDR chose him as his running mate. Suffice it to say that today, we would describe him as a racist. But after the war, he began receiving reports of African-American veterans being attacked and even lynched as they returned home after fighting for their country. And by 48, things had changed within him enough that he issued Executive Order 9981 which integrated the military. In fact, his push for a civil rights platform at the 48 Democratic National Convention directly led to delegates from Southern states walking out in a three-way split of the Democratic Party. It was a rather bold move with very serious political consequences. So we have that famous picture of Truman on the back of a train at the end of the 48 election. He was crisscrossing the nation to meet people directly because his party was so badly fractured, a direct result of his push for a civil rights platform for the party. Now after the election, there were additional executive orders to make it illegal to discriminate due to race in the civil service, and to force the integration of defense contractors, the very beginning push towards the civil rights movement. Now my point is not to defend the Truman presidency, but how does someone who comes from the family system and culture that he did become this champion for civil rights? In today's lessons from Act, Acts, it's the end of the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, is a God-fearer, a term for those who are Gentiles but have an affinity for Judaism. 
and he hears the call of the Holy Spirit so acutely that he sends his servants to find Simon Peter. Here is a Gentile who is so faithful that he is visited by an angel of God, but yet a Gentile. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter, the ever-faithful disciple and apostle, prays, and he experiences this vision of heaven being opened up and a large sheet descending with all of these animals coming down and a voice telling him, get up, kill, and eat the animals. Three times he sees this, and let's be honest, it's a really bizarre vision, isn't it? I guess if nothing else, it's a vision that certainly gets your attention. One can only imagine how disturbing this was for Peter, since every bit of his faith and his culture inform his very being and understanding about clean and unclean animals. Those that can be eaten and those that are forbidden and an abomination. Boundaries created through food and culture. And then we have the gospel reading from St. John. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Which I think speaks to the very essence of what is going on with Peter. Something incredible has happened to Peter. Peter, who has lived his whole life in this narrative that his people are the chosen people. His people knew the right way to live and to be in covenant with the living God. The right way to be faithful. The only way. Peter, who's been living and working with Jesus, experiencing not only the miracles, but the message of Jesus, that not only is there a different way to live and love, but Peter, you've got it all wrong. And despite hearing this message directly from Jesus, he just doesn't get it. But he keeps at it. He tries. Boy, does he try. He still falls in the water, has to be rescued. He still denies Jesus. And his most egregious sin, though, is he sees the other in this case, the Gentiles, as less than himself in a social construct that's deemed impure. He refuses to eat with them. He refuses to listen to the message in this vision three times, just as he missed the message from Jesus. And so finally, we come to the scene today where God pours out the Holy Spirit upon all that were present, including those Gentiles, in an experience that completes Peter's transformation. Now, let me be very clear. This is not an indictment 
of the Jewish people of the first century. All we have to do is look upon ourselves and the divisions that exist right here in our own society and our own social constructs around race, socioeconomic status, gender, sexuality, to understand that we struggle with the same underlying issue of the human condition. Now, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit must have been a truly incredible experience. But to reduce this down to a single transformative event misses and even degrades the whole of Peter's story. A story that begins in his own boat and includes not only the teachings and experiences of Jesus, but his own prayer, his own reflection, and yearning for oneness with God. This transformation is to truly understand that God's love is unconditional. Boundaries and divisions, they don't exist when we abide in God's love. The food you eat, your gender, your sexuality, your race, none of it. Now, I must admit that I'm not sure sometimes if I'm really ready for that depth of transformation like Peter or even Harry Truman. I have my own boundaries. I come with my own baggage. All of us do. And God knows that. Knows each of us and our flaws intimately. We try to abide in the love of Jesus, but it's hard work. I mean, look what it took for Peter to lay down something so deeply ingrained in his identity. But take heart, friends. We can overcome the divisions that we inherit and those that we have created ourselves. We can be transformed with God's help. Be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, through us, and around us, understanding that transformation takes time, struggle, and maybe even a little direct intervention from the Holy Spirit. Keep struggling and wrestling, striving to love one another as Jesus loves us. What will it take for us to be transformed? What does this have to do with Easter, with joy, with hope? Transformation is possible for us as individuals and for the world. Transformation is possible for us around things we know and on levels that we cannot even fathom. Because like Peter with seeing Gentiles as holy people of God, what we are awaiting transformation for 
may be completely in our blind spot, or it could be very deep at the core of our being, and that's holding us back from truly abiding in Jesus' love. Like Peter, our individual transformation might be just the thing the world needs to be transformed and become more just. But I assure you, the Holy Spirit is ready to awaken our senses and, and for us to see and experience our sheet and bring our Cornelius into our lives to invite us into that transformation. You know, Peter may not have always been the best role model. Certainly Harry Truman wasn't either. But he kept at it. And his transformation literally changed the course of the church and still shows us that transformation is possible. It's possible for us and it's possible for the world to give up those divisions and those boundaries that while they may seem to make us feel safe, they're really just keeping us from loving more deeply. It's possible for us to love so deeply that we are ready to give it all up for our friends and to truly abide in God's love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.